Paceline is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin, Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. I'm not sure why I emphasize two wheels. Uh, I haven't had to write about any tricycles uh, this month. I mean, um, uh, there, but as as we say here in Eastern Massachusetts, there, but for the grace of God, go I. I mean... (laughs) You know, <laughs> statement. I mean, I get to ride two wheels. Uh, maybe three is in my future. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I could be real fun. I'm sure it is. But we're going to focus on two today. OK. OK. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and now, I mean, I think most everybody, you know, well, you and me and probably most of our listeners actually have nice cycling weather again. Uh, yeah, all the Northern Hemisphere folks should be having a good time. I went out this morning with my usual crew, uh, actually a pretty abbreviated version of the usual crew, and we had a fantastic ride. Mm. The The only thing um, uh, having any sort of negative impact on it was that there's so much pollen and stuff in the air. None of us is allergic but it's actually there's so much particulate in the air that like you feel like you're developing pond scum on your <laughs> eyelids. It's like I didn't wear clear glasses, which I should have done because it was pelting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Nature is yep. having its way with us. I am I am in that month of where I take Allegra daily. Yeah. It yeah, lands if soon. You were, if you were here, you would fall over dead, I think. It was, it was, I think the first weekend in June, some years back when I went up to Eugene, Oregon for the Oregon Grand Fondo. And uh, I encountered pollen there, the likes of which even Memphis was going, we're not worthy. Uh, I was taking 24 hour Allegra D every 20 days or 23 hours i i couldn't actually it wouldn't tide me over a full 24 hours because mm. the pollen there was so incredibly bad yeah. um and so yeah i look forward i mean i'm glad this at this point in my life this is the only time i really have any allergy trouble um but i do look forward to when the the floaty floaty stuff is over with yeah it's amazing i mean i i don't like uh how it feels uh, cause it like, you know, you get this ack in the back of your throat again, it's not <laughs> allergic. It's just that there's so much stuff in the air, but I do like the, um, the whole persistence of nature vibe to it. <laughs> Nature's like, we're gonna, we're going on. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, there is something to that. Um, yeah, I, I like that resurgence. Uh, oh, uh, Sunday was it? 
Sunday, I was on a mountain bike ride and um, toward the end of it, I saw a doe and a spotty little fawn and it was just so cute and gangly. I was like, yep, the world is at it again. Yeah, yeah, it's a great thing. The birds are going nuts. I love it. Cool. All righty. Well, what are we discussing today? Today, we're going to discuss pro racing mm. um, and not in a way that maybe people expect. Um, so here's what's up. The Vuelta Femenina, which wrapped up uh, on a week and a half ago, mm-hmm. was seven days, seven stages uh, consecutively with the first stage of 14 and a half kilometer team time trial. None of the subsequent stages was over 100 miles in length. Mm -hmm. As a result, the time gaps tended to be small. Uh, The setup of breakaways tended to be more important Mm -hmm. than it is in many tours. Events on the road, even early in a stage, could be very consequential. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, normally my view is that the women's races should be the same as the men's races, and it bothers me that the funding doesn't seem to be there to put on the same events for the women. Mm Mm-hmm. It's easy to bash the UCI and the organizers over things like this. Yep, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. There, it's that chicken or the egg thing. They're going to say, "Well, the money, you know, the in the the revenue isn't there," and I'm like, "Well, the revenue isn't there because you don't make the thing, like mm-hmm. the thing." But then I got to thinking about this because I watched this Vuelta, uh, and I I really enjoyed this race. Every day served up meaningful action. Shorter stages mean riders can go harder each day, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes more of the race significant. Uh, A quote unquote uh, grand tour, you know, seven days is not a grand tour, but (laughs) it falls into that category. Right. uh, Here, it's meant to be attritional. Yep. I get that. Uh, But so much of the mileage involved in the men's races is just boring filler. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a point to that, I guess, but it's not great as a spectacle. And I suspect it leads to a lot of the problems we see in pro racing more, more, much, much more uh, often on the men's side. If you watch the spring races... The women's races, I mean, you would have seen Demi Vollering, who's the who's leading the world tour uh, from Team SD Works, winning race after race mm-hmm. to see her do the Arden triple and then come to the Vuelta and compete at the top end of the GC. My natural inclination is to think, come on, there there must be some doping involved here. Like you can't be that good. That often. <laughs> hmm. Wonder but why you might you- say that. <laughs> But then you break down what these races are and you see that, no, actually, it's possible to ride that hard over those distances on that timing. Uh, There's obviously, I think, less need to dope. It's not that the races aren't long and it's not that they aren't hard, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the men's stages are double, easily double that length. Mm -hmm. And there's three weeks of them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not... It, that is beyond a human body's ability to exert and recover. And I think that, True. and that's a big part of where doping comes from. 
It's also safer. Uh, we've seen loads of men crash out of the Giro already this year. Um, fewer miles means fewer crashes. It means more attentive riders because they're not having to be laser focused for six or eight hours at a time. Maybe it even means uh, less need to cultivate an eating disorder to compete. <laughs> uh, it's also cheaper for television coverage, which means the coverage can be better. And with riders able to go harder each day, it's more competitive. As I said, the Vuelta was really exciting. Animiak Van Vluten won it, not without controversy. So um, she had attacked on stage six while Volering and some SD Works teammates were having a pee break. Or at least that was the story. You know, it was I think it was a media story saying, oh, well, Van Vluten attacked while they were peeing and that's not cool. Actually, what seems to have happened is that um, they sort of took too much time. And so she rode hard off the front. Um, and then Volering and her teammates couldn't get their act together to organize a chase. Uh, you know, she's like the the prime G GC candidate and the other teams were like, we're not going to drag you back. Like, we're right. not doing work here. Why? You know, but they kept sort of like looking at each other. You pull. No, you take a pull. Come on. We've got to do this. And all the other teams were like, we don't. But you definitely do. <laughs> um, there was plenty of time to reel Van Vluten in and they just screwed around too long and didn't didn't let it happen. So or didn't make it happen. On stage seven, Volering then went all out and won the stage uh, and dropped Van Vluten. Um, but she was able to do enough to win the overall, uh, which I think the time was under a minute. Uh, but it was nail biting right to the finish. Like, I really enjoyed it as a spectacle. Whereas, you know, a lot of times in a men's grand tour, you know, the stage is 180 miles. The first four hours are pointless from a spectator's point of view mm -hmm. um watching paint dry yeah watching paint dry if there are any mountains you know there's a sprinters group at the back I, I just you know it's it feels to me like they're trying to do too much and by trying to do too much they're creating all of these other problems mm -hmm. um i mean i'm not saying i'm not advocating that anyone should dope in order to race professionally. But if I was asked to ride those distances over we three weeks, mm -hmm. yeah, I would, I mean, offer me whatever, and I'm probably going to take it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is all a real hot take, uh, but I ran all this by your friend of mine, Radio Freddy, who has also been watching these races, and uh -huh. he agreed with me. He agreed with me. Well, that's nice to hear. Yeah. There's a respected opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody who's both informed and cares. Yeah. Yeah. This is it really. Like, I care about the women's tour succeeding. But I also care about the men's tour cyclically tearing itself apart. Mm -hmm. In this paradigm that actually could be changed. How do um, you feel about this? Because I think, you know, I think it's, it's a little bit anathema to suggest that they should shorten a grand tour or um, shorten the stages. Well, 
you know, historically, I mean, the Grand Tours were, you're going to race until you drop. And whoever doesn't actually drop, you know, will be the winner. Right. Um, it took lots of doping and, you know, big advances in bikes and training and diet and all of the things that make a human being go faster. It took all of those things to arrive at a place where, you know, suddenly we're seeing five hours raced at threshold. Just crazy, yeah. crazy stuff. Um, and so, you know, since that's not sustainable, sure, riders are going to turn to doping. Um, there's zero surprise in that. Um, the thing that I came to appreciate that makes me, I don't want to say I'm cynical, but I'm, I'm, um, I'm disillusioned to the point that I'm unable to sign on to your hope. But I don't want to diminish it for you or for anyone else. Um, the, the problem for me is the simple reality. What took me entirely too long to get around to was that it, there will always be someone out there who, if they can cut a corner in order to win, they will. There's always that person out there. And so yeah. doping's not going to go away. Um, from changing the racing. I, well, two things. First, I don't think you're cynical or, or I should say pro cycling has taught you to be cynical. Uh, oh, fair, fair. I okay. mean, I don't think that's your fault. <laughs> I don't think that's a shortcoming on your part. You doubt what you're seeing. There's a good reason for that. That's not cynicism. That's just like, reality the second thing is i agree with you if someone can gain an advantage in a way that they think they can get away with they will <laughs> but that's sort of an but then it's sort of baby with the bathwater to say we shouldn't make the sport more humane Mm -hmm. to its participants in order to foster an environment where doping feels less necessary hundred percent, hundred percent. I am yeah. not, I, I am absolutely not going to argue against doing anything to make racing more intelligent, uh, more reasonable, more exciting to watch. Uh, I'm not sure we can get all three of those things inside the Venn diagram, but I'm certainly not going <laughs> to argue against it. Just this morning, I was reading an opinion piece in the New York times, uh, by one of their writers who was saying that uh, legalizing uh, cannabis uh, nationally is a bad, bad, bad idea. And he posed all these straw man arguments. It's like, well, you know, uh, cannabis is uh, responsible for the incarceration of a lot of people. Um, and if you stop enforcing laws regarding cannabis, you know, all the bad policing things that result in uh, black people being, you know, frisked by officers and using that as a pretext to doing bad things for racially motivated reasons. It's not going to get rid of that. So we shouldn't change cannabis laws like no, 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 no. You don't not change cannabis laws because some people in law enforcement are still going to be a holes. That's yeah. that's not a solid argument. Um, and so 
you know, yeah, anything that we can uh, or anyone can coax the UCI into in terms of making uh, the racing better, I'm all for. Uh, but fundamentally, my feeling is that there's no doping in or very little doping in women's racing because just the money's not there. Yeah, I think it's well, I think it's a mix. I think the money isn't there uh, to take the risks, but I want the money to be there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's also reasonable to say if we're racing 90 miles instead of 160, well, that's within the scope of effort I can actually exert. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. So. And I'm interested, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to say racing shouldn't be hard. It should be hard. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to put mountains in the way. You're going to have all sorts of ways to separate riders. But actually, also having the riders so close together on GC mm-hmm. uh, makes for some pretty spicy stages. Yeah. Um, yeah. It- and then you get like intermediate time bonuses and things like that. And it the racing becomes... I think really interesting. Yeah, because at that point, suddenly the interplay between different teams uh, starts to, to become more of a thing. You know, if you've got four riders within 30 seconds of each other, then you can expect four teams to work on controlling the race, uh, that they're not all just going to look at uh, the, the team of the GC leader and going, it's your job. That's right. And and also because the finish line comes quicker, say you have four GC candidates, um, things can get chaotic quickly. And I like one of the one of the criticisms of, of men's racing is that, you know, with race radio and GPS and power meters, they can sort of dial it in like, oh, we're get, we know we're going to we'll work just hard enough to catch the breakaway with one and a half K to go. Mm-hmm. And then and so the racing becomes predictable. It is much harder to predict a shorter race because riders can you see it somewhat regularly, like a 20 or 30 K breakaway solo breakaway and teams not able to get it together quickly enough to neutralize that. And that's fun. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Nobody is listening to me on this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is, I don't think there's anyone uh, in Switzerland uh, tuning into the pace line going, oh, this guy has it. He has a point. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, even when you get their ear, uh, I, I'll, I'll mention that way back in 2006, I wrote an op ed for the L.A. Times in which I proposed a truth and reconciliation commission for cycling. Yeah. I am the guy who first proposed that idea. Yeah. Okay. I get to take credit here. A friend of mine was on a plane from LA to Geneva the next day and took the paper with him and handed it to the UCI. And we see what the UCI did with a really good idea. They loused it up beyond belief. Sure. Um, they used uh, they used an opportunity to get at the truth, and instead of uh, crying ali ali oxen free tell us what you know and we won't come down on you they immediately started suspending people and banning people and whatnot so they got it exactly wrong so even when confronted with a great idea they can do the dumbest thing imaginable um although 
in my poll, I will talk about how the UCI just recently did something really wonderful. <laughs> yes, I want. I, I have opinions about that too. So maybe let's move on to you. <laughs> okay, and see what happens. Well, we'll we will take a, a very short break and uh, be back with uh, more talk about the UCI. The Paceline is underwritten by Shimano North America. That means they help us pay for software and hosting and the M&Ms in our dressing rooms. Shimano are also nice enough to let us talk about them in our own voices and from our own experiences. For example, I did a lot of research on Shimano road wheels when I was putting together complete bike packages when I was at 7 Cycles. We turn to Shimano wheels because they're rock solid, affordable, and readily available. The wheel market is full of fantastic options. Shimano's wheels often fly under the radar. You should really check them out. They have killer carbon fiber wheels at the 105 level now, the C32 and C46. And of course, if you're shooting for the stars, you can get the C36 and C50 at Altegra and Dura Ace levels. See them all at road.shimano.com. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast still on just the two wheels. Uh, what are you pulling <laughs> this week? So uh, this week, I've got a short snippet of a longer interview I did last night uh, with a former colleague of mine. So when I was at Felt Bicycles in the early 2000s, uh, Dave Casel, uh, known to many people as Super Dave, w- with good reason, he was the product manager for Drop Bar Bikes. Uh, gravel wasn't a thing yet, but all road and track bikes were his. Um, I really grew to admire his ability to see the bigger picture and product design and product management um, and his ability to extrapolate creative solutions to existing problems just floored me. Uh, I'll mention this again at at, uh, some point later, but I mean, among the things that he can be credited with subcompact cranks, 4630 or 4832. Mm -hmm. That was super Dave. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even working for a company that made cranks. He went to FSA and said, would you open up tooling to do this? And they said, "Uh, if you can spec enough of them, sure. And he did. Uh, And then like, you know, that became a really great thing for gravel. Uh, He's done. He's been responsible for a great many really creative things. And uh, well, he and two other guys he's been working with just launched their first Kickstarter. Um, And what the Kickstarter is, is a track frame set, frame and fork, uh, which promises to be at least for a little while the fastest track frame on the planet. Uh, recently the UCI, as aforementioned, relaxed some rules. Um, the big one being they've always had this, not always for a very long time, sometime in the 1990s, they've had this rule about, uh, airfoil shapes on aero products. They have to have a relationship of three to one, a ratio of, uh, you know, three lengths to one width. Uh, you couldn't have an eight to one ratio for an airfoil. Never mind the fact that aerodynamics engineers don't talk about airfoils that way. Uh, and this was, you know, a, a terminology that uh, the UCI invented. Um, but they they relaxed some rules. There's also one regarding position and how far forward uh, the rider's hands can be in an aero position. 
And uh, Dave saw that and said, you know, we could make a really cool track frame. Um, so here's a short snippet from it. Essentially, um, you know, I've been involved in the development of track bikes uh, at the Olympic level since 2007. And we worked closely with the U.S. team at that time. And then since then, we've had a, a really a global um, uh, audience for the mm -hmm. products. And that was when I was working for Felt Bicycles. Um, so and Felt came out with a, uh, a bike that's really stood the test of time pretty amazing. If, for the time, it was one of the few bikes, um, I think the only bike used at the World Cup level that was used for team sprint, team pursuit, pursuit, uh, mass start races. I mean, it just it was a one bike do all. Uh, where a lot of other companies were, um, they'd make a sprint specific bike or a, a pursuit specific bike. And oftentimes even a master bike on top of that. <clears throat> so the bike that we've made, um, mm -hmm. is intended to do all, all things. And it's not so much that we've uncovered some secret sauce that allows us to manage all those unique disciplines. It's the UCI has changed their rules on, and they've relaxed them. I mean, I, and I, and as I recall, this might be the first time they've gone backwards from a, a standpoint of, Hey, here's the rules. And, and now we're allowing you to do things that, you know, it'd be as if they introduced the super tuck again or something. It's they're going back on limitations, uh, which is normally not their normally not their way. The sport has changed and the average speed of the racing is so much faster. Um, I heard a, uh, I heard a world-class uh, athlete describe it as you're basically out there with 20 other guys doing a team time trial, but you're not all on the same team. But if you get out of line, if you get mm -hmm. out of line, you just go backwards. It's, it's uh, you know, super speedway racing like NASCAR. You, mm -hmm. you, you know, you need the draft. It, without the draft, you're dead. So, John, uh, you don't ride the track. I haven't ridden the track uh, since um, the last Bush was in office, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little bit. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, I'm so excited about this frame set. I'm salivating and I don't have a single bike with backward facing dropouts. Uh, are you as captivated by this? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm not, I feel as though, uh, so I'm aware of this, what I view as, um, uh, sort of a, a low-key tragedy. So once upon a time, track cycling was a hugely popular sport. This is going back, you know, just like a century. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, and one of the more popular velodromes in the country was like four or five miles from my house. Probably not even mm -hmm. that far. Probably three or four. And I am interested in track cycling um, I think it's a great spectacle. It um, really is. And so I feel like it's really sad that I think the, I think the there used to be a velodrome in New Hampshire that was outdoor, but I think the closest one to me now is in Pennsylvania. That sounds right. And so it's a bummer. It's a mm -hmm. bummer. Um, I don't know where we went wrong with track cycling because you know whether it was a six-day race or just your conventional sprint races or or a kieran uh 
or whatever, I do think it is super cool. And I think if I had access to it, I would be really into it. I've ridden a lot of track bikes on the street because that was a thing for a while. Uh, <laughs> I still do own one that I like quite a lot. Um, I think what Dave is doing is is really cool. Having seen the promotional video uh, before we recorded, I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool that the UCI has uh, removed their head from betwixt their buttocks a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think track cycling in particular has been held back in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago when I was at bicycle guide, uh, my coworker, Joe Lindsay, uh, who folks may know his work from bicycling magazine, uh, Joe postulated that the UCI for a brief time, uh, decided that its sole job was to make Graham Obrey illegal. Yeah. You know, and that that really was kind of, you know, no more washing machine parts. Uh, you know, you got to stick your arms in front of you. OK, now you've got your arms too far in front of you. It was at each change uh, that Graham Obrey brought to the hour record. Uh, the UCI then stepped in a month or so later and went, well, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'll be honest. I thought about Obrey looking, watching the video. Uh, for Dave's bike, uh, because, you know, Dave is reacting to this wheel, this rule change in a, in a positive way, but he's not pushing it. Whereas, you know, he's, he is compliant I sh is what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say. Whereas mm -hmm. Aubrey was like, well, are we trying to go fast? Cause if we're trying to go fast, we should go like this. And, <laughs> and the whole Aubrey saga, so to speak, uh, is a lesson in an organizing body trying to slow us all down. Um, a group who felt, feels, and or felt empowered to define what a bicycle is. Um, and I'm not, I'm not an anarchist in this regard. You know, I'm not saying mm -hmm. make anything, but I am saying if we're pursuing fast, as you are on the track, as you are in the hour record, then you should get to pursue fast. Right. And, you know, Oprey was, you know, he wasn't trying to skirt rules. You know, he'd look at him and go, well, they didn't say I can't do this. Right. And so he was simply being creative. Um, and, you know, as he put it to me when I spoke to him once, you know, he was happy to work within the rules, you know. What are But they? he kept finding that, uh, well, yeah, there weren't that many, but he conformed to them. Uh, but every time he did something creative, they were like, no, 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 no. And so really what it seemed like was a, a referendum on creativity. Yeah. And that's the part that always bothered me so much about their creation of new rules. It's like, Oh, we, you know, and, and you know, part of their argument, another straw man argument was, you know, well, we don't want unsafe things coming to market. Well, you know, the fly night fly by night operations, they're going to make something that will break while you're on it. Guess what? They're not sponsoring Mark Cavendish. Yeah, they're not coming to market. They're just not <laughs> coming to market. Right. No one is lining up to buy a bike. That they feel is unsafe. What I know, I mean, I know so many bike shop buyers. Um, who they're not trying to find controversial things. 
They're not trying to find weird stuff and convince people that they should ride it. You know, I kind of think the truth will out. Um, and uh-huh. yeah. for that matter, I don't think a lot of people were lining up to buy Obrey bikes to get in the Superman position and take on the hour record. That It's not especially comfortable. Uh, no. If I may observe. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, as you say, I think that's a straw man argument. But what it is to me overall is an effort to control. Mm-hmm. That's where power comes from. Power comes from control. And the UCI can only sort of express its power through control. Yep. Um, and I'm not trying to denigrate everyone there. I'm sure there are people there who are, you know, really dedicated to growing cycling and, and et cetera, et cetera. But as ever, grownups ruin everything and like just stop making so many rules and let us play as hard as we can. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that about covers it. I would um, love to ride, ride Dave's track bike, though. I. There was one thing that he said in the interview about, you know, when you add up all the different things you can do these days, including like folding yourself in half. The existing equipment out there and the advancements in position, you can save 70 watts. Yeah. 70 watts. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's hard to frame how much power that is in terms of a gain from just riding along on a regular road bike. Well, um, it's, what it's like is when you're in the right hand lane doing 65 and that. Um, Audi goes by you <laughs> on your left shoulder. That's what it's like. 70 watts. Yeah. 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 Little ring to big ring. Maybe, maybe we could uh, frame it that way. Little ring to big ring. It's yeah. just, yeah. Enormous. Um, Alrighty. Let's move on to paceline picks. Sure. Uh, before I get to my specific pick, I want to acknowledge that you can achieve what this product achieves with a length of clothesline and some clothes pins. If you're 50, <laughs> If you're thrifty or if you already have that stuff, I get it. Um, Press the forward button on your podcast and just listen to what Patrick has to say. A few Christmases ago, my wife bought me a gear line for camping. This is a nylon line with loops and S-beaners, which is a double carabiner, at regular Mm -hmm. intervals that you can hang in a tent, giving you a place to store hats, gloves, I don't know, whatever your camping stuff is. Uh, a friend of mine has one in his basement. I've mentioned this before, and it's dedicated to gloves. He's got them hanging from lightest to heaviest. So <laughs> right, on, right. on his way out the door, he can just match the glove to the weather and off he goes. No searching through a bin, which is what I did until I remembered that I had this thing that my wife gave me for camping. It is the Night Eyes Gearline Organization System. It is a nylon line, four feet long. On either end is a rubberized twist, twisty wire that you can wrap around just about anything. Uh, now I've got my gloves hanging in the most useful way I can imagine. And let me tell you, it is much more delightful than rifling through uh, the bin that I had them all in before, finding one and looking desperately for its match. I've never done that. No. Um, <laughs> this thing is so simple. It's genius. It's, it, it's 20 bucks. As okay. I said, 
You can save some dough with a clothesline and pins if that's what you're into, but this looks proer. Which is a word I just made up. Proer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm on board. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, this is a goofy thing to pick, but um, in terms of improving the quality of my cycling life, two thumbs up. I like that as a solution. Um, I, as you were, as you were talking, I, I was trying to think about well, where would I put a four foot long object to hang my gloves from in my home. And I, I quickly realized I just, I'm not sure where I would put it. Sure. So my, it, that I, it solves a problem that raises a, a fresh problem. I don't know how to solve, but I like it. I, you know, in, in philosophy, I'm, uh, I am on board. I, mm -hmm. I have, I have come to see, uh, 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 my wife and I, our family, we're not wealthy in the conventional sense, but I've come to see things like having a backyard in a basement as wealth. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Those are those are two really wonderful things. Yeah. Not so long ago, I was having a conversation with someone about home ownership, and uh, they're like, "I don't know, renting today might be like really the way to go." And I said, "You know, here's the thing: when you're a renter, you can't just haul off and paint a wall red. Right. I mean, some some landlords just don't care. You know, as long sure. as you're not tearing the place up, if you do something to fix it up, fine." But an awful lot of places are managed by management companies and you better not get out of line. Right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I get that. Yeah. The, the stretch between the um, water meter in the basement and the um, hook that I screwed into one of the joists where I put this line, that is my wealth. Uh-huh. Yeah, well played. You know? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you're living your best life. I am. Uh, I am. I don't want more. Keep mm -hmm. your super yacht. I've got my gloves organized from lightest to heaviest. My my answer to this, uh, you know, my version of, of this is uh, one of the one of the vented doors on my kitchen. I've got a uh, a coat hanger, a, a coat rack. You know, multiple mm. hooks for for coats that is solely for hydration packs that's wealth mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh so i i i like what you're playing there yeah all righty well so uh now that it's warmer i'm encountering more people on the bike paths these days oh, yeah. uh when i do post-work rides i tend during the week to do a lot of easy rides on flat bike paths because i'm trying to burn fat and train my aerobic system to be more rad like i used to be the increase in other users has upped my desire to announce my presence as pleasantly as possible um close the gap is a dutch company that makes a combination a computer uh, mount and bell called hide my bell uh, it tucks beneath it tucks the bell beneath the mount for the computer um, and the uh, the mount has an insert that allows it to be turned for either Garmin or Wahoo type mounts. Interesting. Um, 
The bell isn't as nice sounding as the spur cycle bell that I picked some weeks back, um, but it's reasonably loud. It's loud enough uh, and has a clear sound. It's not junky sounding. Um, it doesn't have a lot of sustain. It's out of the way pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Most people don't seem to struggle to hear it. Um, they do a fancy carbon fiber version of hide my bell. And, uh, they also sponsor Yumbo Visma. Um, <laughs> you know, and they have a special commemorative version f- for them uh, or for lovers of them. Yeah. Um, it goes for 42 pounds sterling, which oh. is about $52. I mentioned this because again, close the gap is a Dutch company and they don't seem to have a distributor here in the U S currently. Um, but one can order their products directly from their website. Um, but when I was kicking around, I couldn't get it to spit out dollars. Uh, so I think that you put your credit card information and it will do the rest for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have had enough negative experiences this year with people either complaining that I was too loud and announcing my presence or not loud enough. Uh, you know, it was a situation every time somebody gets upset with, with how well you're trying to be considerate of them, that's a no win situation. So I just figured, okay, I'm gonna let the bell do the talking, whatever. Uh, I, I noticed those people. Um, and we've talked about this before. Uh, the number of them who are wearing headphones, uh, I just, it's kind of the opposite of asymptotic. It's approaching all. Yeah. (laughs) I, I just, I have no more patience. Um, I don't, I don't use a bell. Uh, it's probably a good thing to do to use a bell. I don't use a bell because actually there are enough people just not caring out there that I am also not caring. And if I startle them with their (laughs) headphones, Win-win, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I don't mean to get all grouchy about it all of a sudden, but we were out this morning and uh, riding some single track, and there was uh, some, a person uh, right in the middle of the trail, uh, you know, with their back to us and headphones, who we summoned, summoned and notified several times. Didn't matter. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm waiting for uh, the first combination bell taser that that is a product idea yeah speaking Uh, of kickstarters (laughs) and with that that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line (laughs) uh what are some of the cool stories we've got coming up i don't have any idea if i'm honest with you patrick uh because i haven't written them yet but uh (laughs) Uh, Maureen Gaffney's working on something and uh, J- Johnny Raz, uh, John Rizel, uh, uh is sure to have some fresh cookery. Uh, it's going to be great awesome. no matter how you slice it. Awesome. Awesome. So next week will be an episode of the Paceline Tandem with my full interview with Dave Casel. Uh, I told him we were going to have our conversation and then we would start over and just he would give me bullet point answers uh, for each of the questions I had. And as we got into the interview, it was just too fascinating. Um, I was like, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be interested in the interview, but for the people who are even a little bit interested in the interview, they're going to be fascinated because he's, he's just such a, a, 
he's a generally great guy. Um, and his ability to uh, synthesize these different uh, pieces of information into a larger understanding of how to go fast. It's fun stuff. Mm. Uh, I, I actually look forward to editing, editing the interview. There won't be many cuts, but I look forward to listening to it again. Um, well, yeah, all right. I'm, I'm that's that sort of nerd. <laughs> Get hyped, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this would be where we ask you to subscribe because we're awesome. Uh, that is, if you haven't already. And if you have already, thank you. <sighs> Go ahead. Click that button, please. Uh, and send us more questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. Uh, also, if you haven't already, check out our other podcasts, Revolting, hosted by John and Stevel, um, and uh, The Long Way Home. And I am currently working on another episode of that that should hopefully be up uh, in the next couple days. Um, I'm working away, trying to get there. Uh, and, uh, maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. It makes it more likely other people will listen in, uh, constructive criticism also accepted, uh, until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to the pace. Line. <laughs>